SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Today is Friday, the 10th of March. Coming up uh, in your program today, we have another cracking conversation with Wiradjuri Woman and Samsung Technology Editor Ray Johnston, looking at the developments in uh, scientific discoveries and uh, technology. Among the topics uh, we cover today, well, there's a vindication of Aboriginal cultural burning as it is now scientifically proven that this ancient practice protects koalas and promotes a healthy population growth growth of this native species. In today's program, we also head to the Northern Territory where more than 170 students who had been displaced by recent flooding have now been able to return to school, albeit in a makeshift classroom in the inside of the Darwin Evacuation Center. We then talk about sport, leading up uh, to the weekend, as the 32 nations qualified for the Basketball World Cup have been announced. And among the 32 nations, well, Australia is one of uh, the top qualifiers. We also look at the return of uh, Over the Black Dot, season 2023, with Bo De La Cruz and uh, Dean Weed as uh, co-hosts of the popular rugby league show. But first, the latest news on NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The Northern Territory Police Commissioner hails alcohol restrictions in Nari Springs as successful in curbing crime and antisocial behavior. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese continues his tour of India. And in sport, rugby league player Latro Mitchell targeted by racial abuse. Place Commissioner Jamie Choker, the introduction of alcohol restrictions in Alice Springs has significantly, significantly reduced the rates of crime and antisocial behavior. Domestic violence incidents have dropped by 30%, youth disturbances have gone down by 36%, while unlawful entries have been almost cut by half. The alcohol restrictions that, that are set to end in the last days of April forbid the consumption of alcohol in remote communities and limit bottle shop hours. In his comments to Sky News, Commissioner Choka pointed out that the numbers are reflective of the situation. There is no doubt that our 
uh, antisocial behaviour and our family and domestic violence and assaults have reduced markedly. The statistics are very clear with that. I was down there again last week, uh, flew out again on Saturday. Britain says it needs more time to consider the issue of returning the remains of Indigenous Australians and their culturally significant artefacts which are still being held in UK museums. UK High Commissioner to Australia Vicky Treadle has told the National Press Club that Britain understands the importance of cultural treasures taken from nations under colonial periods. She says there is a live debate underway on the question of changing legislation which enables the UK to legally hold onto the items. The High Commissioner says it's, it is not a speedy process to confront their colonial past and legacy. We have to understand that different organisations and institutions um, have constitutions. Sometimes it's because it's within the law and sometimes these things take time to unravel, unpick. We can dig around and you know, open old wounds when actually this should be about healing and moving forward and actually respecting each other for who we are today. The comments follow an announcement last week that four spears taken by Captain Cook from La Perouse in Sydney in 1770 would be returned by Trinity College in the UK to the traditional owners in Australia. The leaders of Australia and India will focus on crucial trade talks on Friday along the Defence and Technology at a summit in New Delhi. On Thursday, Australia's Anthony Albanese and India's Narendra Modi did a lap of honour at the cricket in Ahmedabad. Now the Prime Minister is is hoping to help India slash carbon emissions in the coming years and focus on renewable energy at the leaders' talks. And there has never been a point in both of our country's histories where we've had such a strong strategic alignment which has been reinforced by my current visit to India and will be reinforced further by Prime Minister Modi's attendance at the Quad Leaders meeting in a short period of time. India has set ambitious goals of 50% renewable energy and 30% electric vehicle usage by 2030. In Spain, three people have died in the collapse of a tunnel in a mine in the northeastern part of the country. The three geologists were in a potash mine in Cabaneses de Soria, around 80 kilometers northwest of Barcelona, early in the morning at a depth of 900 meters. Carlos Alnaldo, a mine worker and member of the local rescue brigade, says the whole community is affected. There are colleagues. Everyone knows each other here. We are a small town. We are 100,000 inhabitants. Everyone has relatives, friends or acquaintances working in the mine for many generations. The mine has been here for 110 years. The Catalan regional government says the remaining workers at the mine were evacuated. An An investigation and a judicial probe was also opened. About half a dozen civilians have died when Russian missiles knocked out electricity in Ukraine. It's the first such mass attack on targets since mid-February. The strikes on Thursday hit infrastructure and residential buildings in 10 areas, and the eastern city of Kharkiv experienced blackouts. Joseph Borrell, the head of foreign affairs of the European Union, said the strikes show Moscow's true intentions. These recent attacks of Russia are another example of their objective. 
The objective is to terrorize the Ukrainian people and to lower the Ukrainian morale. It shows that Russia is not interested in peace and it talks about peace or ceasefire are utterly insincere. That's why we have to continue supporting Ukraine. China's top diplomat Wang Yi has told Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov that he looks forward to security discussions with Russia. Mr. Wang is meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Moscow. It comes after the U.S. administration warned China's government against providing material support to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mr. Wang says Chinese-Russian relations are rock-solid and will withstand any test in a changing international situation. I am ready to exchange views with you, my dear friend, on issues of mutual interest, and I look forward to reaching new agreements. In Africa, the president of Tunisia, Kais Saeed, is under fire after making comments perceived as racist towards black people. The Arabic country is host to many sub-Saharan African migrants. President Saeed recently ordered a crackdown on these migrants and lashed out at what he called a plot to erase Tunisia's identity. The comments fund racist abuse targeting black people in Tunisia and prompted some African countries to evacuate their citizens. Mr. Said attempted to defend himself by claiming he has personal ties with some sub-Saharan Africans. First of all, I have numbers of my family who are married to Africans. Also, my friends at the law university in Tunis were Africans. President Syed stuck by his call for crackdown on illegal migration, however, and did not say anything to curb racist sentiment that has surged online and in the country's streets. In the Balkans, Serbia and Kosovo are getting closer to signing an agreement to normalize their ties. The European Union envoy for the Serbia-Kosovo dialogue, Miroslav Lachak, visited Kosovo's capital Pristina yesterday to meet his, its leaders and discuss an agreement that was informally accepted by both countries. The, the main purpose of this visit is to see how Kosovo, uh, or to, to, to get the information how Kosovo sees the implementation. And, and, and this meeting has uh, met this, my expectations in that context. I will be in Belgrade on Monday and Tuesday and with the same purpose, to hear from Serbia how they see the implementation. Last month, Serbian President Aleksandar Vucic and Kosovo Prime Minister Albin Kurti gave their tacit approval to the EU plan to end months of political crisis. Under this agreement, both countries would recognize their respective independence, autonomy and territorial integrity, the right of self-determination, the protection of human rights and non-discrimination. The two leaders will meet later this month in nearby North Macedonia. New research suggests current screening for cystic fibrosis, or CF, is not suitable for Australia's multicultural population, with some even labeling it as a racist. A recent study conducted by CSIRO scientists in partnership with Pathology Queensland and Australian gene testing lab GenePath examined data from the Australian Cystic Fibrosis Registry of nearly 4,000 people with CF over 50 years. It found two babies of East Asian descent who were carriers of CF that hadn't been picked up with the recommended genetic sequence. 
Glenn Bennett is the chief medical officer at research partner GenPath. He's suggesting the current testing regime is discriminatory. It's kind of sad to say, but you know, the current you know genetic screening tests that are available in Australia they're racist. You know, they basically are tailored towards genetic variations that are most common in Caucasian populations. So that's why we did this research and published it to put it on the agenda so that policymakers can have a look at these tests, look at the new technologies that are available. Uh, in order to you know, provide policy on tests that are going to be equitable for the whole of the Australian population. And to sport and rugby league, South Sydney intends to file a police report after a teenage NRL fan allegedly racially abused fullback Latro Mitchell at halftime of the Rabbitohs' loss to Penrith. Rabbitohs club officials told reporters the fan targeted Mitchell with a racist comment on Thursday as he walked up the tunnel at Blue Bed Stadium and into the dressing sheds. The fan allegedly left the scene after making the comment, but a man who had been sitting with him, believed to have been his father, was ejected by security. Mitchell is a Birbai and Wiradjuri man and has faced racial taunts in the past. Two years ago, two men were charged for sending him racially abusive social media messages. Now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 36 degrees, Perth, partly cloudy 27, Adelaide, mostly sunny 26, Melbourne, partly cloudy 24, Hobart, cloudy 22, Albury-Wodonga, sunny 26, Canberra, sunny as well, on the top of 26, Wollongong, mostly sunny 26, Sydney, partly cloudy 27, Newcastle, partly cloudy as well, on the top of 29, Brisbane, rain increasing 26, Townsville, mostly sunny 31, Cairns, sunny 32, Two, Alice Springs, similar conditions, 33 degrees. Darwin, partly cloudy, 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Hi, I'm Petron Dami, and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, we're a tree woman and science and technology editor Ray Johnston joins us presenting the latest development in science and technology. And uh, you'll hear one of the stories is a vindication of Aboriginal cultural burning as it is now scientifically proven that this ancient practice protects koalas and promotes a healthy population growth of this native species. In the program, we also head to the Northern Territory where students who had been displaced by recent flooding have now been able to return to school albeit in makeshift classrooms. Then we'll talk about sports with Australia, one of uh, 32 nations qualified for the upcoming Basketball World Cup. We also talk uh, rugby league uh, this season on NITV with the return of Over the Black Dot for the 2023 season. to explore the latest developments in science and technology with Wiradjuri Woman and science and technology editor Ray Johnston. Welcome to NITV Radio, Ray. Thank you very much for having me. 
Our first story takes us uh, to Rottnester Island, but before we delve into this story, I'd like to give a bit of a background of this island to our listeners. Well, Rottnester Island is an island with a rich history of coastal scenes and a wildlife population that is unique to the area. Yet, in the latest news, we learned that uh, marine heat waves are decimating sea archins and uh, mollusks. It's quite saddening to learn that... Uh, these unique species with their unique characteristics are under threat. Yeah, absolutely. This is Curtin University researchers have been looking into this and they believe it's rising sea temperatures that are to blame for the plummeting number of invertebrates like mollusks and sea urchins at Rottnest Island, which is off the coast of Western Australia. And some species have declined there by up to 90% between 2007 and 2021, which is a huge number. And since 1982, the researchers have monitored the biodiversity of marine mollusks and echinoderms, they're called, that's sea snails and clams and starfish and sea urchins on the rocky reefs at Rottnest. And despite there being sanctuary zones with the highest level of protection from human activities, a number of marine heat waves in recent years have caused abnormally high ocean temperatures that have impacted the area's marine plant and animal populations. So this research shows that even with that high degree of protection from human activities, these areas are not immune to the effects of global climate change. And uh, another one, our next one is uh, one that's uh, at the same time alarming and encouraging in uh, kind of a way. Well, every year during bushfire season, hundreds of thousands of native animals are killed, including koalas. But research shows that if there was respect for traditional knowledge, and uh, cultural burning was actually practiced with um, lose less koalas and uh, we'd actually protect them and uh, help them continue to thrive. Absolutely. So there's been research into koala numbers before and after cultural burns. Uh, actually, on the world's second largest sand island, they've done it, and it has fueled a push to merge Aboriginal knowledge with more cutting-edge science to mitigate the dangers of bushfires across the continent. So it was University of the Sunshine Coast researchers that worked with Kwandamuka land custodians and they collaborated for two years on this project and it's believed to be the first study of Aboriginal cultural burning to mitigate the risk of wildfires on koalas. And that's something that is increasingly important as uncontrolled wildfires become more frequent and more severe with climate change. So the university team, they counted and monitored koalas using drones fitted with thermal cameras, and they also collected koala scats from the ground, and they analysed their hormone levels to indicate how stressed the koala was. And look, the cultural burns, they're cooler and they're lower and they're slower than the hot fires that you'll find during a big raging uncontrolled bushfire. So you get better coordination and control and you can encourage the regeneration of suitable native plants in the areas. So burns, they also control species like banksias and wattle to reduce the risk of fire reaching the canopy up where the koalas live. So the results of the study 
they showed no negative impacts on the stress levels or the numbers of koalas after these cultural burns. The first one was in July 2021, and that went across 130 hectares. Instead, the study showed the strength of koala numbers in that area and the effectiveness of cultural burning in reducing fuel load from vegetation while keeping that tree canopy intact. So it keeps the koalas safe from injury and distress, which just goes to show cultural burning is something that we should be rolling out, encouraging, supervising and teaching across the entire continent. Yeah, another vindication of Aboriginal traditional knowledge. Uh, well, scientists should be looking into this knowledge and learn how fast custodians have been looking after country for thousands of years. Absolutely. And another one of these high-tech things I can get my mind around, 3D bioprinting. So they insert a tiny robot that goes into the human body and starts doing all sorts of things, fixing and patching things around. How does it work? It sounds like uh, out of this world to me. It's really exciting, Bertrand. It's very much in this world. So it's engineers from University of New South Wales, Sydney, we have to help for this one. They have made a miniature, flexible, soft robotic arm that can 3D print directly onto organs inside a person's body. And they use a material that's called bio-ink that makes these natural tissue-like structures. So they can print organs, basically. This means we now have a tiny flexible 3D bioprinter that can go in your body like an endoscope and directly print layers onto the surface of your internal organs and tissues. And the printing head itself, it's made from these soft artificial muscles that move in three directions. So it looks and works very similar to those desktop 3D printers that you see printing plastic objects. The printing nozzle, yeah, the printing nozzle, it can be programmed to print all different shapes or you can operate it manually. The surgeon can operate it with a controller, like a video game from the outside. And so far they've used it to make an artificial colon, as well as 3D printing a bunch of different materials with different shapes on the surface of a pig's kidney they've been testing it out on. And they say that this device would be really especially important in surgery to remove certain cancers. So the nozzle of the printing head It can also be used kind of like an electric scalpel to mark and then cut away lesions. And it can also spray water to clean any blood and excess tissue from the side. And they're looking at adding a camera to it. We're looking at about five to seven years before this technology is going to be used in the operating room. But making this arm and this nozzle is absolutely going to be the future of how surgery is performed. Wow, to me it sounds just like um, a construction work inside the body but using these little <laughs> micro things and send a machine to cut and drill and uh, patch together things. And wow. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But they should be, instead of just printing, you know, releasing these, uh, uh, you know, telling us how this works, they should also maybe send us some videos and give a more visual kind of um, explanation of how it works. I can visualize it, but it would be great to have a short video of how it works, yeah. There are videos and and pictures and things available of it as well. So, yeah, absolutely. There, There is 
all of that is out there. I should, I'll pop some up on my Instagram for you so that you can all see it. That would be great. No, it's interesting. I'll check it out. And we stay in the realm of high tech. It is said that uh, thanks to new technology coming soon in our homes, we'll be able to have new, thinner and also cheaper flat screens. That's right. And we use a lot of screens these days. So this is a scientist from the Australian National University and also the University of New South Wales in Canberra. And they have just created the technology behind the next generation of thinner, higher resolution and more energy efficient screens and electronic devices. And they've done this by creating nanoparticles, so little tiny, tiny, tiny particles that they've called metasurfaces. They are 100 times thinner than liquid crystal cells. They have 10 times better resolution and they use half the amount of energy. And liquid crystal cells is what our current LCD and LED displays use. So the researchers say that they have absolutely paved the way to break a technology barrier. And they've pointed out that most you know, important things in flat screen displays are things like pixel size and resolution and weight and power consumption. And they have addressed each of these. So this new technology could lead to a huge reduction of energy consumption Excellent news, given the number of monitors and TV sets and screens that we are using every day now. They say that it is time for LCD and LED displays to be phased out in the same way that we did with the old CRT TVs, the the old cathode cathode ray tube TV. Yeah. Yeah. So over the past 10 to 20 years, you know, they say that the capability of the displays that we've got today have reached its peak and it's unlikely to get any much better in the future. It's got too many limitations. So this new technology with their meta surfaces, that's going to be the future of all of our screens. Yeah, it sounds like those rollable screens or, yeah, that you can (laughs) fold and... uh, Well, well, those rollable screens, they're still using those liquid crystal cells. So with this new technology, you could even get thinner rollable screens that use a lot less energy and look better. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Those are you can put on a wall, just like a painting or science fiction. I just can't (laughs) wait. But then science evolves at a very high pace. Things we thought could never happen in our lifetime. They just run the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we've just got to save all our money to be able to afford it. (laughs) And cheaper that's so. Sounds like uh, good news to me. If it's cheaper and more effective and uh, more uh, actually versatile and, um, yeah, can't wait to see this happen. Absolutely. The newer technology is always slightly more expensive when it first comes out because they're making it in smaller amounts. And they also have to recover the costs that they've put into all the research and development. But by the time this technology has been used for two or three years, it will be far, far cheaper than anything that we currently have on the market. Then it trickles down to people like me who have no money to buy anything. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much for bringing to us more entertaining, interesting, and very, very powerful stories uh, in uh, science and technology development. Thanks so much for having me. Always good to chat. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. 
Welcome back. Now uh, our next story coming up next. Uh, children who had been uh, removed, who have been displaced uh, by the recent uh, flooding in the Northern Territory, have now been able to return to their schools. Makeshift classrooms, albeit, thanks to community efforts. So these children have now been uh, able to go back to makeshift classrooms and they are among 700 evacuees rescued from uh, rising floodwaters last week in the remote communities of uh, Dugarago, Kalkarenji and Pigeon Hall. Authorities say it could be another month before they return home. SBS's Alex Anifantis reports. It's back to school for more than 170 students displaced by flooding in the Northern Territory's remote Gurindji country. The children are among 700 evacuees who had to be rescued from rising floodwaters in the communities of Daguragu, Kalkarindji and Pigeonhole, almost 800 kilometres from Darwin. After almost a week in the evacuation centre, the children are trying to find a new normal, with authorities saying it could be another month before they can return home. Who thinks that we can all sit up in a big circle on the floor? Let's do that big circle. Circle up. Big circle. Big circle. Big circle on the floor. The primary school students from the communities of Daguragu and Kalkarinji are making the best of a calamitous situation. Ben Kinder is a Kalkarinji school senior teacher. They have gone through a lot, but they can also still see the joy of day-to-day life. So there's still been plenty of smiling faces. Um, We've been able to get swimming in just about every day, still playing around being kids, um, bringing back school into their lives also. Um, But there are some kids who are also not ready to go back to school, and that's completely okay. Maria Albion is the principal of Karama Primary School. She has assisted many of her students who have lost everything. Lots of the children have lost everything uh, back at home, so they're in a strange place. So the last few days has been really sort of getting them accustomed to their new place and getting to them familiar with their surroundings and, uh, and the people that have come here to support them. Heavy rainfall saw the Victoria River and surrounding creeks burst their banks last week, inundating homes. Residents watched helplessly from their rooftops as pets and belongings were washed away. Ben Kinder explains. Dargaragu was certainly hit the hardest, um, flooding completely taking away lots of homes. There were families who had to be airlifted from their roofs via helicopter. Families were evacuated to Darwin by the Australian Defence Force. Mr Kinder says it could be another month before they can return home. But the road damage that's happened in the community at the moment um, means that food trucks and diesel trucks aren't able to get back in. So until they're back online, they've given no indication of time. Floodwaters have also closed the Victoria Highway. This has cut off the only overland supply route into eastern Kimberley after flooding destroyed the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge in January. Shire of Wyndham East Kimberley President David Menzel says it has been a challenging time for the residents. This just adds to the mental mental stress and I think both the, just the regular community members and our businesses are really, you know, really wearing their resilience down at this point in time. A timeline for repairs is still days away. But for now, there is comfort in the classroom for some of the smallest evacuees facing an uncertain future. Alex Anifantis, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. 
Now, our first sports story. Well, the qualifiers of uh, the FIBA Basketball World Cup coming to an end. The 32 nations taking part in the tournament are now decided. Australia is among the teams traveling to Japan, Indonesia and the Philippines on August 25th to compete for the title of World's Best. Alex Sanifantis has the details. Off the glass for Jelani Watson-Gale. Great Britain's Jelani Watson-Gale's two-point drive in his country's home game against Serbia put an end to a three-year qualifying process for this year's FIBA Basketball World Cup. The first jump ball, the match start, is due to take place on Friday, August 25th, with the final to be held almost two and a half weeks later on Sunday, September 10th. Three nations across Southeast Asia will be co-hosting the tournament, Japan, Indonesia and the Philippines. The group stage draw is set for Monday, April 29th, with the teams being split into eight groups of four. But what's in it for Australia? What interest does this tournament hold for the footy-loving Aussie crowd? Well, last time the national team took part in this event, the Boomers finished fourth, higher even than Team USA. The Aussies fell to eventual winner Spain in a double overtime contest of epic proportions. Australia also won the bronze medal at the 2020 Olympics. The Boomers qualified for this year's World Cup at the top of their table in the Asian region with 11 wins and only a single loss. And spirits are high within the team's ranks, according to Mason Peatling, one of the most recent additions to the squad. Uh, our chances are, are probably the best they've ever been. Um, following on from the, the bronze medal at the, at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, or 2021 really, um, yeah, the confidence in the Australian national team is sky high. With the tournament so close to home, head coach Brian Gorgian's team will be hoping to go a little further than they did four years ago and potentially even bringing the trophy home with them. The US-born coach will have his work cut out for him in choosing his 12-man squad, with many returning players set to make their final appearances with the Boomers and other young talents ready to make their name on the national stage. Paddy Mills, Matthew Delavadova, Joe Ingalls, Chris Golding and potentially Aaron Baines are some of the names belonging to that first category, with Dante Exum, Jock Landale, Josh Green, Matisse Thybul and Dwop Reith setting up a star-studded roster. Peatling agrees there's a great mix of old and new in the Australian squad. You think about um, the young players in the NBA like Josh Giddy and Josh Green, um, guys sort of of that ilk, even Dyson Daniels. Um, they'd be looking to even to push for that, that team as well if they're interested to play. Of course, whenever there's a cross-reference between basketball and Australia, only one name springs to mind. Ben Simmons. The 26-year-old Brooklyn Nets star's presence could give Australia the confidence boost it needs, providing Gorgian with several options from outside the three-point line. But it wasn't the high-profile NBA stars who carried Australia all the way to the FIBA World Cup. While Paddy, Maddie and Ben were all away, others took up the mantle of the difficult three-year journey and ensured that the Boomers will be there as scheduled to compete with the world's best, players from Australia's National Basketball League. It's a league of very high quality and, as another member of the Boomers, Cole Adnam, explains, it's gathering the attention of local crowds. Obviously the NBL has, has done an amazing job itself with marketing and different things they've been able to do and showcasing talent. Um, you know, one thing in Australia is we've always had the talent from a basketball standpoint and I think the entertainment values where the NBL, uh, NBL have really, really captured. Um, and I think, yeah, they've done a great job in their own right um, and what they've been able to achieve is 
as an um, as a league. So, who are Australia's main opponents? Who will the Boomers need to keep an eye on as they aim for the top? Um, I mean, the US are always um, great, but there's so many of the European countries at the moment who are just um, amazing. It's never a never an easy task to win a medal. The Melbourne Phoenix star highlights the teams from Europe, and for good reason, as Spain currently holds the titles of both continental and world champions. Then, of course, there's France, with young prodigy Victor Wembanyama leading the charge in his first major tournament. Countries like Canada, Greece, Serbia, and Lithuania are also strong contenders, each for their own reasons. The tournament is set to take place across five venues: three in the Philippines, one in Indonesia, and one in Japan, with the final to be held at the 55,000-seat Philippine Arena. This was Alex Anifantis for SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. I am Patron Tungandame, and you're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Well, earlier this week, I spoke to Bordella Cruz and uh, Dean Weeders, co-hosts of uh, Over the Black Dot, as uh, the popular TV program uh, returns uh, on uh, our screens for 2023 season. The first episode actually aired on uh, Wednesday, the 7th of March. But today, we continue the conversation looking at how Over the Black Dot will be covering other on and off the field developments in rugby league in the men's and women's competition. I'm sure the scandal you heard about racism against uh, Latro Mitchell that happened um, in the last uh, game that they played, the Rabbitos played, will be dissected in uh, the upcoming uh, program next week. The next program next week. We started our conversation first looking at uh, women's participation in uh, the ever increasing, uh, the ever increasing women's over ever increasing participation in rugby league. Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Yeah, rugby league women's competition has been growing in popularity as well over the years and it's been expanding. How will you be approaching uh, the women's competition in the program this season? Yeah, look, we've expanded the the uh, NRLW by four teams. So Tigers have come into um, the game, Sharks, Cowboys, and who am I missing? Raiders. So it's um, it's so exciting, and there are so many amazing opportunities for young women to come into the game. Um, We're seeing a lot of women come from other sports now, which is good. I mean, we did previously with uh, Rugby Sevens, we had a few of those converts come over. So we're starting to see more and more girls get into the game. And even at the little grassroots level, like I remember my son, my eldest boy, who's 10 now, in his first year of footy, he had one girl in his whole comp. And now my uh, seven-year-old son, son has got two girls in his team. So that's where um, footy's got growing. It's growing so big. Um, and I just, I really just want it to be successful. And, um, you know, some people are talking about it maybe going a bit too big too soon. Yes and no, it does have its, it's going to have its challenges, but it's also going to have its positives as well. And I just can't wait to see the, you know, the new blood of um, young NRLW players coming through. And I've got a daughter now and, you know, it's something that I, you know, one day I hope that she might want to get into, but Obviously, you know, the pathways are going to be there for her 
Um, and, and it's a lot different now, like, you know, the, the tackling, the safety with tackling and being tackled and all. It was always a concern for people and, and it's a concern for me as a mother for my sons even. So I think, you know, we've um, we've definitely evolved in the women's space and Dino is back, hopefully back coaching again at Para. You know, so they've got some really good coaches. We need more female head coaches as well. I think, um, you know, we've only got the one in Karen Murphy at the moment um, up there at the Titans. But, yeah, it's a space to grow through, you know, the coaching, the admin. It's, it's yeah, it's really open slather for anyone, isn't it, Dino? And it's, it's yeah. really exciting to see it go into the future. Yeah, you just mentioned First Nations is a growing participation in this sport, uh, in the men's and the women's side, especially on the grassroots level. We can see a very high participation all the way from the grassroots to elite levels. But it has appeared that there's a gap in leadership roles, especially in um, uh, terms of coaching on the men's side. Definitely an area that needs mm. to be addressed, and uh, we spoke there's got to be targeted programs out there to, to help uh, close close this gap and to create these opportunities. And the game's got to provide these opportunities. We need to change the minds and the mindset of people in clubland to give our, our our people a chance. And it's definitely an area that the NRL will target in the next five to six years. You know what I mean? We need everyone to jump on board with it. And, create these opportunities and mentoring will be a big part of that and giving people opportunities to, to have experiences. So um, I think it's, uh, while it's a, a massive barrier to break down, I think it's an exciting challenge for us you know, as Indigenous people working in and around the game to try and see if we can get to that point where we have an Indigenous coach there because it will change a lot of the ways people think in the game. Yeah. I think you just got to look at it. The two coaches that um, coached the women's grand final Last year, we're both Indigenous, you know, so that just goes to say something. I don't know if, if that's enough. If it isn't, well, I don't know what is, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, uh, it is it is exciting times, but let's hope everybody jumps on board. A new season, new format means you also have uh, new guests and possibly even uh, maybe some uh, host presenters. Tell us about some of the big names you'll be talking to in the new season. Yeah, we'll get... All the Indigenous stars. Yeah, there, we hope know? to. Yeah, Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, regular on the on the show, and always fantastic guests to get in. Uh, Duffy Kerr, yeah. trying to take over my hot dot role. I don't know about that. Good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming in, and yeah. they got to be careful there, Bertrand, that they don't push us out of our roles. I but reckon. there's a few um, ex players and current players that come mm. on the show regularly, and. Uh, uh, we highlight some of the NRLW players as well, and introduce to a lot of our younger players. It's a it's yeah. a it's a place that our Indigenous players they feel really comfortable coming on the show and having our yarn with their own mob and 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 getting that messages out there to a lot of our mob that watch the the show on NITV and a lot of non-Indigenous people that watch as well. They they feel really comfortable and safe coming on the show, so they yeah. like it. And we different. We like to have a little bit of fun with the boys yeah. and, and the girls when they come on and and tell those stories of their background and things like that. So I think they really appreciate that. Yeah, so you provide our safe space to have a good yarn and enjoy the good storytelling. And why not maybe crack a joke every now and then? <laughs> that's a part of our that's a part of our culture, you know, humour. Yeah. Um, we always like to have a laugh about everything. Um, you know, nothing's taken to heart, you know, we can we can have a go at someone next one week and we can be best friends the next week, you know what I mean? It's just the way it is and um, you know, we want to just make sure that we are highlighting our own people the way they should be. Um, and yeah, like we, we don't want a lot of negativity on the show. It's all about, 
you know, our mob and what they're doing through our communities and how what they do on the field is affecting communities in a positive way. So we want to make sure that's really highlighted in everything that we do week in, week out with the show. And that was uh, Bo De La Cruz ending this conversation with our co-host and myself. Our co-host of uh, Over the Black Dot is uh, Dean Weeders. The Over the Black show is uh, Australia's premier rugby league-focused uh, TV show focusing on uh, the game from a First Nations uh, perspective. Well, the show airs on NITV on Tuesday nights and also streams on SBS On Demand. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. That's all for today's program. I am Bertrand Tungandame thanking you for your company this uh, Friday afternoon and wishing you a very beautiful uh, weekend at the same time. A beautiful and safe weekend. Till next time, uh, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,